Right, so our reading today is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 12, uh, and verses 20 through to 28. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has not come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we come to reflect on your word, we would have ears to hear your voice this morning. We pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we would be open to receive what it is you have to say to us. Would you give us grace and strength? Would you pour into us your Holy Spirit so we can respond to your word? Amen. Now, hopefully, Julian, there should be a PowerPoint on there. Fantastic. I'm going to have to try and remember to nod or signal to you when to flip over to the page. So we're in the middle of this mini-sermon series on understanding more of our gospel identity. If you go to the next page, please, Julian. Now, our gospel identity describes who we are as a result of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus. Now I think it's so easy as Christians to get distracted by what we think we ought to be doing or what we should be doing. And we so often focus on managing or trying to change our behaviour to try and conform to what it is that we think a good Christian should look like or should be doing. And so we start trying to change the way that we behave. What I want to try and help convey in these three weeks is that actually it's all rooted in our understanding of our identity and what we do flows out of who we are. And when we truly understand about who we really are in Christ, then our behaviours will change because uh, we start to act and behave 
because of who we truly are in Christ. It can be so easy to understand the commandments and maybe the way of life talked about in the Gospels almost as a way to earn approval, to earn God's love, to earn God's forgiveness, to do what's right in order to show that, that God loves us. We're trying to earn his, his, his valuing, his, his love for us. And so we're almost trying to create our identity by doing a bunch of things that we think will, God will approve of. And so we're in danger of busying ourselves in religious behaviour or behaviour management in order to try and earn God's forgiveness or love. We try hard to be good and that often means that we're ending up living in our own strength. The focus is on us, on what I could do, what I should do. What I'm trying to convey in this mini-sermon series is that when we understand who we are in Christ, it frees us to live a different way. When we understand what Christ did for us on the cross and the new identity that we have in him, it changes our heart attitude. It changes our understanding of who we are. It releases us and frees us to live in a new way. We're no longer trying to change our behaviour because our heart has been transformed and changed. We know who we are and so we act because of who we are in Christ, because our heart has been changed, because of what he did on the cross. And when we believe that in faith, the change takes place and so it enables us to live in a different way. You see, the good news of the gospel is that we're accepted and we're loved and that we are forgiven by God because of what Christ did on the cross. Not because of anything you do now or could do now in order to prove that you're worth loving, in order to earn God's forgiveness or love. Because all of that is a gift, a free gift. No strings attached. It's what we call grace. So instead, the focus should be on what Christ has done for us, not what I think I can do by changing my behaviour here on earth. When we understand what Christ did for us on the cross, what by faith that enables us, has enabled us to become, so we become free to live out this new identity that was won on the cross. Next slide, please, Julian. Last week, you may remember that I was talking to us about an understanding that God is our Father, and so therefore, you and I are his children. That we've been adopted into this new family. And so the freedom to live as the children of God, and what that means for us here in Christchurch, to be a family. So our actions flow out of our understanding of our gospel identity as being children of God, and so therefore we are a family. Well, this week, we're going to be thinking about Jesus, the servant. Next slide, please. In the Bible passage I read to us from John's Gospel, Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is verse 24, and we know that this passage 
Jesus was speaking to his disciples very soon before he was going to be uh, crucified on the cross. Now, of course, he was referring to his own life and that sense of understanding that he is the grain of wheat that must fall into the ground and die in order that it can bear much fruit. By giving his life as a ransom for many, Jesus brought many sons and daughters into glory. He bore much fruit because he gave up his life. And through this gift of grace, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have become new people with a new heart, with a new understanding of our identity, with a new motivation for living. And these gospel identities are ours through faith because of what Jesus did on the cross. So as we follow him in our daily lives and to serve others, we so will bear much fruit and so prove ourselves to be his disciples. But here's the paradox. According to the passage we just read, and according to the words of Jesus himself, he says, the way to keep your life is to hate it. And the way to lose your life is to love it. Now these words weren't just aimed at a few select people, those that might seek to go off to another country to be uh, a missionary perhaps. Maybe a bit like open doors to go to a country where to preach the gospel you're in danger of giving up your life and dying, quite literally. Becoming a martyr for the gospel. It's not indeed even for a few select people that might become bishops or indeed vicars. But this is a mandate for all who would follow Christ. All that follow him are in this daily process of hating their lives in this world, the process of dying to self, taking up our cross and crucifying our sinful nature. They are the ones that will keep their life. Next slide, please, Julian. In verse 25, Jesus says, the, one, the man or woman who loves his life will lose it. So what does it mean to love your life in this world and therefore potentially to lose it? Loving your life in this world means living with only this life in view. It's to live as if the world this world is all there is. So live life to the max, because when you die, that's all there is, there's no more. It's to live the best life you can now, because there's nothing more than what happens here and now. Those in the world live as if life is all that there is, and their aim is to accumulate as much money and stuff as they think will make them happy, to look the best they can, to acquire the most power, the most fame, the most recognition, the list goes on. Their motto is simply, he who dies with the most toys wins. But Jesus says, he loses. 
or she loses. Loving life in this world is living with the same priorities as people in the world live for. So what do people without Christ live for? Well, very simply, in 1 John 2, 15-17, there's this warning, and it says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride in riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. We need to be on our guard about loving those things, making them the goal or the idol or the aim of our life, the all-consuming thing that we seek to serve, because that's what is important to us. Loving your life in this world is the sure way to lose it. Next slide, please, Julian. Instead, Jesus calls us to hate your life. That seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? Hate your life. But what I think Jesus is referring to here is the daily, lifelong process of dying to self so that we can live for him. Dying to the desires of this world, the things that seem important or uh, that, that obsess us or can become an idol, the thing that we seek to serve or take hold of or accumulate more of. Hating your life in this world is the same thing as taking up your cross daily to follow Jesus. That's part of what it means to learn to live the life. Our vision statement for here at Christchurch. The lifelong process of dying to self, taking up our cross. And I think that so often we're in danger of trivialising those words. We think that to bear one's cross might mean putting up with a difficult partner, bearing a painful illness like arthritis or back pain. But taking up our cross is not an unavoidable trial that we must endure. Jesus says that it's a daily activity that you and I choose to embrace. In Jesus' day, the cross wasn't an implement of irritation, an inconvenience, or even just a path to suffering. The the cross was an instrument of torturous, slow execution. Jesus' hearers knew that a man who took up his cross for all practical purposes was a dead man walking. A man bearing his cross had given up all hope and interest in the things of this world including self-fulfilment, self-gratification. Because he knew that in a few short time, he would be leaving this world. So he was dead to himself. Taking up your cross, hating your life in this world is not something you achieve in an emotional worship moment singing a song or in some kind of spiritual ecstasy 
or even maybe even some kind of dedication. It's the lifelong practice of growing in obedience to the call of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an act of the will to choose to do what God has asked us. Next slide, please. You see, as we live out our gospel identity as servants of God, so we share in Christ's identity as a servant. And the upside-down dynamic of the kingdom means that our posture towards one another, towards the world out there, becomes all-important. Because we bring healing, restoration, and the message of the good news to the degree to which we're able to live as servants. So what difference would it make if this was your posture and this was your identity? What if you thought of yourself as God's servant here in Downend or Staple Hill or Bromley Heath or, or wherever? How does that change your approach, the way that you live, your attitude towards your neighbours, your work colleagues, your friends here at Christchurch? What you actually do, the way you live. What, what would it look like for us to live under the reign of Christ? For him to be king, to be lord and master, and for us to be his servants sent into our town to demonstrate and declare the good news of who Jesus is. Servants of Jesus do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, for whoever he wants. Because obedience is a servant activity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 5, it says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as his servants, for Jesus' sake. Next slide, please, Julian. You see, Jesus humbly took the posture of a servant to serve us to serve his disciples, to serve the world. He lived in complete obedience to the Father. He left the throne room of heaven. He took on human flesh, not so that he could be served, but so that he could serve. The Gospels tell us he only ever did what he saw the Father doing. He only ever spoke the words he heard the Father speaking. He lived in complete obedience to the Father in heaven. To the extent that on the night before he died, on the night before he was crucified, at the meal with his disciples, he wrapped himself in a servant's towel as he knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus was willing to serve the estranged from, those estranged from the Father even to the point of death. And so as followers with a new identity rooted in who Christ is and what he did on the cross, we are committed too to taking the posture 
of a servant as we seek to serve his body, his city, his world, his universe. As servants, we joyfully give our lives, our talents, our time, our careers, our finances, and our relationships to God. We seek to grow in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He's the Master. We are his servants. We are people called to be a blessing to all nations as Jesus empowers us by his Spirit and works through us. And we intentionally seek God's direction for those whom he would want to bless through us, through our words, through our gifts, through our actions, through our time. Serving is the behaviour of the believer because Jesus is our Lord and we are his servants. It's our gospel identity. We were bought at a great price. We are not our own. We belong to Jesus. He is the Lord and the Master. We live in obedience to his call to us. Serving is the behaviour of the believer. It's not an option. It's a mandate. And the final slide. Jesus' final words to his disciples after he's washed their feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Brothers and sisters, we are not our own. We were bought at a great cost. And Jesus is our saviour, but he's also our Lord. He's the king of our lives. And we're called to live in obedience to whatever he says to us. What would it be, what would it look like for us to take up the posture of being a servant? What would need to change in our lives as we live out that identity that has been won for us? Let's just take a couple of moments just to be still and just allow the Spirit to keep prompting you. Maybe he's saying something to you at the moment or he's reminded you of a particular word. Maybe he's wanting you to respond. I don't know. Maybe he wants you to come and have some prayer. Maybe he he wants you to step out and do something for him. I just invite you now in, in the quiet just to spend some time listening. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are free to be your servants. I pray that you would teach each of us to grow in our obedience to your call. 
pour into us your spirit. Give us the courage to respond to your prompting in your word. Amen.